It's good to see you. Happy Easter. Man, I'm excited to be here today. It's been a few years on Easter Sunday to be in person. Man, it's good to see you. I'm so excited for today. Uh, on Good Friday, we remember uh, the violent death of Jesus. We remember evil and sin crucifying Jesus and the forgiveness and the grace that Jesus offered even in his death, even as he stepped into suffering and pain, enduring all of the worst that we experience as human beings. On Saturday, Saturday was confusion. For the disciples, it was chaos. It was most likely a feeling of utter defeat, of wondering what now, what do we do? And then Sunday morning... Sunday morning was resurrection. Today, we come to celebrate the resurrection. I have to tell you and just confess this, I cannot prove to you today the resurrection. I know there are arguments to make it plausible. There are historical arguments, there's sociological arguments, uh, there's philosophical arguments, but I can't prove to you today that, the, that Jesus was resurrected. But I believe what we can do powerfully not just me, but you're going to hear from some others, and they're going to tell you about their life and experiences. We bear witness to the resurrection. Think of what the role of a witness is in a trial, for example. They don't necessarily prove the entire case, but they're brought before everyone to say what they have seen, to say what they have experienced. This is what I believe is true because I've seen it with my eyes, because I've lived it with my life, and I present for you those facts. And today, I think what we can do powerfully is to bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus. In Genesis chapter 2, the second chapter of the entire Bible, there's this story. God is creating the heavens and the earth, and as he creates all things around, he then creates human beings. I'll read you a portion from Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a, in the, a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In these early verses of the scriptures, there's a play on words. God creates the man. In Hebrew, the word is Adam. Sometimes in these verses, in the early chapters of the Bible, it's translated as a proper name, Adam. And sometimes it's translated as man. It could be translated as a human in some circumstances. And I think the ambiguity in there is on purpose. Here we have a play on words because uh, he is made from the ground, we read. Ground in Hebrew, this is originally written in Hebrew, is Adamah. And so Adam is created from Adamah. You feel the, the, the ground, the dust, the, the physical stuff of creation now formed into a man. And what is it that makes everything go? What is it that makes it spectacular? What is it that, that, that just grabs you? It's when God breathes his breath into the man and it says he became a living being. That spirit and material come together. And the man... The human one comes alive. We then read about the garden and the trees that are planted in the garden. We have the tree of life. Scholars will debate a little bit about what that tree is all about. What's this, what does it symbolize? What does it mean? What are we supposed to, when we see this tree of life, what, is it, what does it mean there's a tree of life? Some have said the tree of life is wisdom. It stands for wisdom. The wisdom that you need to know how to live your life in the best possible way. 
Some have said that, that the tree uh, is about immortality, that it gives literal life, that you'll never die. There's a number of different ways of looking at it that people would talk about, but I think most agree that it's about the nourishment needed for real life. This is the tree that has the fruit, that if we really want to live in, in every possible way that we could define that word in the best possible way, what I think we later read about and call eternal life is that this is the tree of life. Now, some of you know the story. Some of you are familiar with what happens next. Here's the man, and then a woman is created, and uh, they're in this garden, and there's the tree of life, but also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and a serpent comes into the garden. And the man and woman who were naked, which means they were vulnerable, they were, they were open, they were maybe even trusting and dependent, were deceived. Deceived into thinking that they needed their own independence from God, that they could assert their own pride, that God has told you not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because the tree of life and all the other trees are there for their goodness to take, and yet they are convinced, they're deceived, they're lied to. Oh, God, you think God is good. You think, you think God is giving you everything, but maybe God is holding back from you. You can eat of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and become like God, and they eat of that tree. Here's some of the interesting things we learn between Adam and Adamah, the man and the ground. One, we talked about already, Adam was created from Adamah, that there's this connection to the ground, to the material of what God has created part of all of this good creation that God has had. Adam was then put in charge of cultivating the garden. It was his job to, to, to make things good, to take the raw materials of creation and to put them together and to work them and, and to bring new things, use his creative force, the, the creative force that he gets from God who created all things to make things good, to make things flourish, to make life as it ought to be. And yet after they assert their, their pride or their independence, their lack of trust in God, we find out that Adam will return to Adamah. He will return to the grave. In fact, after uh, this episode, we read that God comes and, and says, what was created for all your goodness and your life, now you will experience conflict. You will experience suffering. You will experience hierarchy and power struggle. You will experience pain. You will experience even death. And from where you came, you will return. We read about the tree of life again at the very end of the scriptures. Revelation chapter 22, the, the end of the story, the end of the Bible, a book that uh, is reinforcing to people who are in the middle of all of those struggles and suffering and hurt and pain. People in the first century who were being persecuted, who were being, some of them, killed. And there's this beautiful book that is to reinforce their hope that God is bringing all things back together. And there's this theme woven through it that we're coming back to the garden, that God is restoring and recreating and making all things good again. And we see at the end of the book this imagery of the tree of life again. This is what it says. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, that is, for the whole world, for every tribe, every nation, every one. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, 
And his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. You see, we come back to the tree. And here we are, living between the trees. Do you ever feel that? Feel the tension? Feel the pain? Feel the suffering? All the things that Jesus stepped right into, didn't ignore, didn't go over, didn't go under, didn't go around, but stepped right into, I think most of us, we would realize that we live between the trees. We live with the tension. We, we maybe uh, get hints of the goodness of all that God has created. It's all around us, the goodness of God in all of creation. And perhaps somewhere in your heart, your heart beats for something better, something greater. Because we, we still, all the things that, that Adam and that Eve were, were told, and that you know, you're going to experience this power plays, these, these fighting against each other, this struggle for life, the, the, the longing that everything was put back together. We too feel that. And we look around in a world that was created so good, and it's, there's so much good out there, and we also go, and yet it's not right. And yet, in my own life, and as communities, and as a global community, we acknowledge we still walk through the hurts and the pains and the suffering. We still experience death as we long to get back to the tree. And hopefully, we catch a glimmer of hope, and we hear God's voice calling us, saying, I'm, I'm making all things new. I'm working in this world. Come be part of it. In the middle of life, between the trees, in the middle of the story we read in Scripture, there is another tree that many commentators and scholars refer to as the tree of life. It's the cross of Jesus. Upon which he hung. Upon which, as we talked about on Friday, if you were with us, uh, even in the Hebrew Scriptures, saying uh, everyone who's hung on a cross is cursed. Jesus taking the evil of the world, the curse of the world, stepping into the struggle, the pain, and experiencing death on Good Friday, waiting through the chaos and confusion of Saturday, and then coming and finding an empty tomb on Sunday morning to which those who found the empty tomb, and I believe we have the opportunity as well, bear witness that life is stronger than death, to celebrate that love is more powerful than the grave. Here's one of the witnesses from John chapter 20, verse 11. It says, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look in the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Mary shows up the tomb, disillusioned, battling with, what does this mean for us? The one that we have been following, the one that we believed was the Messiah, the Lord, the one that we believed was restoring our lives, that was giving us back everything that we thought was God's blessing. 
We followed him. We gave him everything. We believed that he was, he was the one that was going to bring victory to our people, bring victory to our circumstances, that he was going to defeat our enemies, that he was once again going to free us. And then when he was crucified and crucified publicly, we were told this revolution is over. That Messiah is not the Messiah. And so she, she shows up. I can only imagine trying to figure out what that means for her life for her family, for, for the friends, for all of those who had been disciples of Jesus and followed him. And she comes just to, just to catch a glimpse, perhaps. Seeing the empty tomb, she's even more disillusioned and heartbroken, maybe angry. What have you done with his body? Where have you taken his body? I love this little phrase in verse 15. When they ask, whom are you seeking? She says, supposing him to be the gardener. And you read it and you think, oh, what a mistake. Uh, she didn't recognize him. Actually, with the risen Jesus and his disciples, that's really common. Most of his disciples, when they see Jesus risen, they, they, you know, we don't exactly know, but his appearance has changed. And oftentimes, they don't, they don't see him at first, and then it's something that triggers in them and go, oh, this is Jesus. This is what's happening to Mary. And Mary, supposing he was the gardener, and you go, oh, that's kind of a mistake. It wasn't just a gardener. This was Jesus. And yet, in a deeper sense, that's exactly who Jesus is. He is the gardener. He's the one by the tree of life. He is the great Adam that Adam could never live up to. He is the human one that shows us what it's like for all of God's divinity to dwell in humanity, for, for the stuff of the ground and our material bodies of flesh and blood to be filled with God's spirit and to live the way that we ought to always live. He is the gardener tending God's creation, making everything good again. He is the one who, though we feel far from the tree, is bringing us back to the tree, the tree of life, to give us eternal life, to give us everything that we need. He's the one that was hanged on the tree of life to offer that which can truly give us life, forgiveness for our sins, grace for our lives, his body given for us that we might have everything that we need, strength for our journey, his blood shed that we might be forgiven from our sin. And then he would go on to give his spirit that the breath of God might be breathed back into humanity as we journey back to the trees. We live between the trees, and that's not always easy. But Jesus is the gardener, tending his creation, and once again, making all things new. And so what is the key to living between the trees? I believe it's trusting the gardener. I believe it's doing what, what Adam and Eve in that story, which is really a story about all of us, just, just failed to do. We're deceived and moved away from, called back to say there is a God, a loving God who has created all things. And as far away as we have gone from him, and as difficult as our lives seem, and as painful as our suffering can be, God has stepped in, supposing him to be the gardener. It's exactly who he is in our lives. The call of Easter, I think, is to have our eyes opened. And for us to once again ask the question, will we trust him? And he gives us everything. So today, as we live between the trees, but we celebrate coming to the tree of life, and as we, we focus on the one who I believe is cultivating all things to make things new, uh, you're going to hear some people give witness to what God has been doing in their lives. In a few moments, we're going to 
We're going to hear those testimonies and see three people get baptized today as they publicly proclaim that they have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior, and that they have committed to following him for their lives because he is the gardener bringing us back, all back, and the world back to the tree of life. In between the trees, it means that we will still encounter failure, guilt, suffering, even death. But today, I hope we'll remember that between the trees, the tree, the cross of Jesus, where sin was nailed and dealt with, where God revealed himself to overcome evil with good, guilt with forgiveness, shame with blessing, and hate with love. And though we encounter these great enemies still, my prayer is that today you would encounter the gardener who makes even the graves back into gardens. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today we want to thank you and praise you for the gift of Jesus, for his death on the cross, and for the power of the resurrection, for reminding us that life is stronger than death, for offering us that life. God, today we don't, we don't come here and pretend that our lives are without suffering or guilt to look, overlook the fact that we still endure uh, all the pain and hardships that are a reality and even death. But we do come today to praise you and to thank you that you are love, that you give us everything that we need for life, and that in our lives we can bear witness to the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus because you've saved us, because you've given us new life, because you walk with us. You invite us to walk with you by your spirit. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.